vital. Uh, to, uh, and so tonight we're going to look at the first step. You see it there. We're going to come back to it here in just a moment. But we're going to be looking at this thought of refuse to trust yourself. What do we mean by that? Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses number 5 through 6. Uh, it's on the screens, and if you have your Bible, you're opening and seeing as well. We don't, I don't know if we've ever done this, or if we have, we've done it a very, very long time ago. As we read, we've talked about this verse often through the first five uh, uh, parts of this series, but would you read responsively with me? In other words, as let's read together here. Uh, read vocally with me, if you would, please. These two verses here tonight. Let's begin Proverbs chapter 3, verses number 5 and 6. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The first five weeks, we began looking at the tools or what we need to do as we prepare for a decision. We said the first thing that we need to have as a tool or as we are preparing for a decision is what? Let's see if someone remembers here this evening. A sober mind. Thank you, Brother John. And what is a sober mind? A sober mind is one that is serious-minded, knowing the weight of the responsibility of the decision. In other words, this decision doesn't just affect me, but affects others. And it does affect others. Every decision you make will affect someone else. And uh, we need to understand that our decisions are not ever private. They are always effective or effective of someone else and with someone else. And so it's important that we understand the seriousness of a decision. So a sober mind. We said, secondly, a pure what? A pure heart. Uh, blessed are they with a pure heart, for they shall see God. And what is a pure heart? Really, it's looking through the windscreen that's clean. It's cleaning off the windscreen. It is wanting, in essence, to see clearly uh, what is ready for, uh, uh, what God has ready for me as He directs my past. It's wanting to make sure that I can see what God sees and wants to to have a heart that is willing to follow. If we could put it in a simple way, it's being willing-hearted. It's being willing to allow God to clear my vision so I can see the path ahead that God has for me. And then we said a what kind of a spirit? Courageous spirit. Thank you, Jonathan. And a courageous spirit. A courageous spirit is one that all, that God calls often uh, upon us as he leads us to take that next step. Uh, and remember, it's never a courageous spirit is never without fear, but it is rather being willing to go ahead in spite of fear. All of us are going to battle with fear. All of us are going to battle with doubt. That is something that is inherent to our flesh. And it's something that we will struggle with even in a right decision and there takes a courageous spirit to say, no, I'm going forward as God truly leads and directs. And that's so important, um, especially when God brings big decisions to us. When God brings big decisions, sometimes fear can be a paralyzing thing that entails us to not go forward as God desires. And so we need a courageous spirit. 
And then we need God's wisdom. And we looked at God's wisdom as how does God see this? It's seeing this in God's perspective. It's not seeing this in my limited perspective, but rather seeing it in the internal, omnipotent, or all-powerful, and uh, all-knowing God. And uh, it is important that we understand uh, and want to see how God sees things and follow his steps by faith. And we looked at that last week. And faith really is stepping out. It's just seeing, okay, God, um, you've got all these things together, and now, God, I'm going to take that step. And remember, that step is not going to be with every detail. When you take that step, you're not know, going to know as much as you want to know. Uh, you're not going to know every, how everything works out. But you know God has chosen or has led to that step, and you take that step knowing that God is going to work things out as he sees fit. And uh, it's choosing to follow that direction that God gives and is willing to take that step. This week we're going to transition. I said there's five resources, and we now are going to take into some steps. How do we now begin the decision-making process? We've done some preparing. Now, Let's look at the processes involved. What do we do first? Step one is to refuse to trust yourself. Refusing to trust yourself is based at the very core that bad decisions often and almost always begin or start with me wanting what I want regardless. It's doing what I want to do. It's doing what feels right. It's doing what my emotions or what my mind is convinced or I have convinced myself that I need or that I want. But bad decisions almost always start out with me trusting what I feel or want at the moment is the necessary thing. Refusing to trust yourself speaks against of trusting my plan, but instead it's ask, uh, 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 refusing to trust my plan, but rather to trust God's. Often when we make a bad decision, it's because I've trusted my own plan, my own desire, my own will. And now I'm asking God to bless things that I have chosen my way. It's like, okay, God, I want to go forward and I want to take that step. And God, I feel like I should take that step. God, I want to take that step. And that's all my decision-making processes. It feels right and it's what I desire. And I take that step. Now, God, I want you to bless this my way. That's no more than just simply coupling uh, it's like putting a plaster on top of a uh, wound that requires stitches. It, 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 it's ineffective. It's not God's procedure. It truly is what is against what God desires and what God desires for us to do. We ought not to come to a point, or we ought to come to a point in which we understand that we cannot trust ourselves. What do we mean by that? I think David, our oldest, was three, maybe four. 
and we were in a home, uh, or in our home, and uh, I was not there. Um, I, don't, I don't believe I was. I just have heard the story multiple times, or if I was, I was studying in the office and heard the question and came out. I don't remember which one it was, but uh, David was playing the we. Now, David loves to focus, and when he focuses, he focuses. He is set, his eyes are there, and uh, the, at three or four years of age, when he was learning to play the Wii, the whole house could have been burning down, and David would have been there playing the Wii. And so, that's nearly what happened that day. For his younger brother, Jonathan, who was maybe two, maybe at that point, um, maybe, maybe just about to turn two, decided to play with baby powder. And he decided to just simply, as David is sitting in front of the television, you know, just in focused, and you know how it is with the Wii, you know, your hands are going up and you're doing all these different things to make all these different characters on the screen do whatever you want them to do. And Jonathan is thinking, hey, maybe I could do this with baby powder as well. But it wouldn't have been bad if the baby powder was closed, but it was open. And so Jonathan was going around all David. David is standing right there. Uh, the sofa's behind him. The television is there. He is glued and focused. And Jonathan is running around with this baby powder, shaking it everywhere. And it is a cloud of baby powder just going on all over the place, all over, everywhere. My wife comes in and says, Jonathan, what's going on? You know, and David is just sitting there and he doesn't even pay attention. You know, he's still glued to that television. My wife finally gets David's attention and says, what? what? Why didn't you tell me? And he's like, what? What happened? There's baby powder. I mean, it's, it, is, it is like nuclear fallout. You know, it's that bad. There's, it's everywhere. And uh, he looks around and she says, don't you see the baby powder? No. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see it at all. Why? He was so focused. He was so glued in to what he wanted to do, what he was attended to, that he didn't see everything around him. That's us sometimes, isn't it? We get keyed in. We get focused in on what we want, on what we think is the best thing. And all the time, God has all these things around us trying to get our attention, and we refuse to take our eyes off the screen. We refuse to see what's going on. We can be so focused on our own plans that we come to a point in which we begin to argue with God. God's trying to get our attention. And we begin to argue with God that what I'm seeing is right. Oh, there's all this fallout going all around me, but what I'm seeing, what I want, it's it's there. I'm not changing, I'm not viewing, I'm anything else. My eyes are fixed and I'm not looking on anywhere else. We argue with God sometimes about finances. About obeying God with our finances. 
but God, you don't understand. I don't have enough money to do this. I don't have enough money to give to missions. I don't have enough money to tithe. I don't have this. And we argue and we speak and we battle with God. We have moments in which we argue about who to date or about who to be friends with or about where we should work or about all these different things. We begin arguing with God and begin to go back and say, God, you've got this wrong. I know what's best. I know what I want. I know what I desire. And we begin to convince ourselves that this is the way I want it. Even though it doesn't fit. And even though it creates maybe even more problems. But we're prone to that, aren't we? We're prone to a viewpoint that we know by default, or what we think we know, is what is best. And the first step of doing the decision right is to call yourself out. And to say, no, I'm only four. I don't know what is best. But I am a child of an infinitely powerful and all-knowing God who does know what's best. He knows what is best for me and He wants what is best for me. And even though we try to argue with God, and say, I don't know what happened. I didn't see anything. I didn't see what was taking place. We need to come to a point in which we learn to lean upon God. Lean upon Him. It's a point in which we learn, or we, have a, we need to have a desire to want to learn to lean into God's view and God's leading from the very starting point of the decision-making process. You know, when the Bible speaks of leaning, it speaks that you're already prone to go one direction. If you're leaning somewhere, you are prone to fall that way. If you cut down a tree that's leaning one direction, it is prone to go that way. How are we leaning? How have we become habitable or made a habit of leaning towards. If we lean towards automatically thinking our logic is best, it is like getting onto an airplane that is on fire. The wings are damaged, the, image, uh, the engine is sputtering and barely running properly. You manage to take off and you manage to get up in the air only for the engine then to stall and the wings begin to fold up and all of a sudden we pull a parachute. What do we do? We call on God. Say, God, I'm in trouble. Fix this. I need help. Because we've leaned unto our own understanding, we've leaned unto what we desire or what we want instead of learning to trust God. God wants us to lean, to learn to lean automatically towards His desires and His wants. 
doing so is much a, a much different than trying than getting on a plane that's about that you know is going to crash and that's what happens when we get onto the plane of our bad decisions of decisions with my logic with my wants my feelings at the center and core of them but getting a onto a plane of God's decision is like getting onto the most comfortable airline you've ever been on the most luxurious the most well maintained the safest airline that's ever that, that's ever flown and to be able to get in knowing that you are going to enjoy the ride and the incredible blessings in which God is going to provide doesn't mean there's going to be bumps along the way because God builds in bumps along his will to help us to grow and to nourish and to help us to know how much we need him. But the will of God is incredible. It's amazing. And when we learn to trust him and we learn to trust his ways, the difference between a successful flight and a crashing plane is vast. I encourage you tonight to learn to downsize yourself and upsize God. That's what we need. We need to learn that we do not know what we are doing. <laughs> you ever been there? I feel like that so often. I'm like, God, I've got no clue about what I'm doing here. <laughs> And it's a, that's a hard thing to admit. For us to say, God, I don't know what I'm doing, especially to someone else, is difficult because we want to make everyone else around us think we got it all under control. We know exactly what's going on. We know exactly what, uh, what's happening. But when we come to a point in which we admit that, hey, I don't know what's going on. I don't know everything. That takes a understanding that I've got to lean onto God. I've got to lean onto someone else. I've got to lean onto the Lord because I don't have it all. We truly need to learn and to come to understand that God is the one that knows and our way, doing things our own way, is very self-deceptive. Self Absolute dependence and trusting God is vital if we're going to do a decision right. Why would I want to do things solely upon what I know? Solely upon my own feelings or my own logic? Why would I want to do this decision alone? As a child of God, I have God. I have God's word. I have godly friends and counselors. Why would, I want, why would I not want to incorporate God into my decision? I can't trust my own way. But I know he knows the right way. He knows what is best. This seems to be more inherent with the younger one is. The younger one, the younger an individual is, the less one wants to ask questions or 
to learn or to lean unto God because after all, you've not made as many mistakes as those who are in our 40s or 50s or 60s. We've been there. We've done that. We've stepped in the trap. (laughs) We have the scars. We understand that, ouch, that hurt. I don't want to do that again. We understand that, look, I should be asking questions when I was in my 20s to avoid what I, the problems that I encountered in my 30s. If I would have learned from those who are older from, uh, than I and incorporated their wisdom, I could have avoided some things. There's wisdom in asking and getting counsel, and we're going to cover that in later weeks, but it is so vital and important that we understand that if we try to trust ourselves and ourselves alone and not incorporate God and in God's plan, it truly limits us and sets us in a point in which we are prone to step into the traps. To step into those, as we used the illustration a few weeks ago of those bear traps, stepping into one and suddenly the scars and the pain and the suffering is very real. And they could be avoided if we would learn to not trust ourselves. What do we mean by that? Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to Proverbs, or Psalms, I'm sorry, chapter 23. We're in Proverbs. Go to, just back one book, the Psalm. Psalm 23, I want you to see this portion of Scripture. We're going to read it this evening. And as we read, I want you to think about how David puts himself, David, King David, is riding as a sheep. Notice what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David here is self-identifying as a sheep. He's saying, look, I don't know what's best. He says, I'm like a sheep. Have you ever met a sheep or ever dealt with with any sheep? If you have, you know that they are not the most intelligent animal. They are prone to get themselves into trouble. They are prone to go into hazards even of things as simple as water. Deep waters where their wool gets so heavy and they literally drown because they can't swim. They don't have enough muscle strength to overcome the weight of that heavy wool on their body and they will drown if a shepherd is not there to save them with his rod or staff. Sheep are not the most intelligent things. In fact, David is saying, look, I don't know what's best. I I am truly dependent upon my shepherd. 
He was truly aware of his vulnerability. This is a king speaking. A king with wealth, a king with power, a king with authority, a king, uh, yea, who uh, led God's people victoriously in battle after battle after battle. He says, God, I'm vulnerable. I don't know what's best. I struggle. I need my shepherd to lead me. That takes some humility and that takes an awareness of one's own vulnerability. It would be good for each of us to look at the simpleness of a sheep and say, like David, I need God. I need God's leading. I need the shepherd. I need him to lead me to what is best. I need his rod. I need his staff. I need his protection. I need his guidance because I know he has my best at heart. And truly he does. He was acutely aware that he was willingly dependent upon God as a vulnerable sheep. You and I, according to the word of God, are likewise sheep. We need God. We need him. We need his instruction. I want you to see three things here tonight. The first two are the longest, and then the last one is just we'll speak just for a moment. But I want you to see first and foremost this evening the problem with self trust. You're in Psalm. Go to Proverbs, if you will. Proverbs chapter 21. In Proverbs chapter 21, notice what the Bible says in verse number 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. In other words, you know, I think I know what's right. I think I know what's best. I think I know what step I should take. I think I know what I want. I think I know what is best for me at this very moment. And the Bible tells us that we really do not know how wrong we are. It might seem right in my own eyes, but often I am wrong. Yesterday, I mentioned the story a moment ago. We turned into a road, and my wife, this, uh, my wife and I looked, and we saw the uh, this this lorry that was reversing in front of us, and it looked this car park was hidden behind a, a fencing company, and we were undetermined whether or not we should go. And I said, I don't think this is the right way, and so we pulled out. And sure enough, it wasn't the next road; it was the road. Uh, it was just a little deceptive in its way. And we turned around, and I said, I hate when I'm wrong, (laughs) or right, excuse me, I hate it when I'm right. Then we were on our way home, and as we were on our way home, we were going on the train, and we were going to a station that uh, was uh, Ricelip, Ricelip Manor, that's what it was, and... I looked and we, uh, Samuel asked how many stops there was next and I counted Rice Slip and there was only two more stops and I said, well, this, including this one, there's three 
And two more left. My wife says, no, there's, there's four. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's not four. And I looked, and sure enough, there was Rice Slip Manor and then Rice Slip. And I looked at the sign at the station, Rice Slip Manor. And my wife says, I hate it when I'm right. You know? And so she got me back. And, you know, but I don't like it. I don't like it when I'm told to, I'm wrong. But neither do I. No one does. We don't want to be told that we're wrong. Well, you evict my wife here in just a moment. <laughs> You're walking home now. <laughs> we get self-defensive about it. We want to push back against it. Why? Because we don't, we don't like it. We don't like the fact that we're not right. We want to be right all the time, but the fact is we're not. We are wrong. In fact, the Bible tells us we're prone to be wrong. We're prone to self-deceiving ourselves into a way or into a step that is not right. It might be right in our own eyes, but God sees something else. Look at Job chapter 13 with me. This is such a powerful thought right here. Job chapter 13. Look at verse number 15. Job going through, of course, excruciating, painful, not only physical, but emotional, relational problems. Job says this, Though he slay me, yet... Will I trust in him? Here's the extent of God's trust or Job's trust in God. Job said, God, I don't care what you do to me. I trust you. Often, when things go well, we say, God, I trust you. Everything's right. There's money in the bank, my relationships all seem to be good. Everything seems to be well. God, I trust you. But then when things aren't going well, what do we do? God, I don't know if I can trust you right now. There's some difficulty. There's some struggles right now. There's some, there's some problems that I'm dealing with. God, I don't trust you right now because of the situations that are going around. But that was not Job's heart. Job's heart was saying, God, I trust you no matter what circumstances come, no matter what happens to me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job truly learned the art and the principle of trusting in God no matter the circumstances, no matter the problems. He understands, or he understood that it was important to trust in God. Often when it comes to be a difficult time, we begin to pray. We begin to seek the Lord. And then when things don't happen as quickly as I think they should, oh, there's a dark tunnel, and oh, yes, there's light at the tunnel, but it doesn't seem like that light is coming soon enough. 
so often Christians are prone to saying, well, God, I, tr I tried you, but now I just simply give up and I'm going to do things my own way. That's not trust. That's a self-dependence upon God's not performing like I think he should perform. And so since God's not doing like what I think he should, I can't trust him at this moment. Job looked and said, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. God, I don't know why you've allowed this, but I still trust you. You are not doing what I wish you would right now, but I still trust you. Your ways don't make sense to me right now, but I trust you. Job was willing to admit that he needed the help of God, and he was willing to trust in God. We truly need to learn this step. This is a vital part in getting a decision right, is that I cannot trust myself once again proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 trust in the lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths psalm chapter 37 verse number 5 commit thy way unto the lord trust also in him in him and he shall bring it to pass Trust in him at all times, Psalm 62. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You see, trust really kicks in when things aren't going well. When things are, being, are difficult, when we're having a problem, when things are not going like we planned, this is when trust really begins to take shape. This really begins to expose where our trust lies. If we look to God and say, God, I trust you no matter what, it, uh, it, it exposes to our heart where our trust is. But if we say, God, no, I tried you. I'm done. I'm going my own way. It shows where we've been leaning. We've been leaning to our own understanding. But God says, trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. We can trust Him. He knows what's best. He knows what we need. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17. Incredible portion of Scripture here. One that has meant so much to me, even in recent days. In Jeremiah 17, look at verse number 7, please. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. This trusting in the Lord is a slow-growing strength. It's a slow, fruitful process. It is something that does not happen overnight, but it is something in which we need to decide consciously about over and over again that, God, I'm going to trust you. 
because I know if I trust you today and if I trust you anew tomorrow and I trust you anew the following day and on and on, that one day I will see fruit. One day I will see you reap the benefits of my trusting in you, but it's got to happen over and over and over again. A decisional, conscious process in which we choose to trust the Lord. Number two, I want us to look at the subtle power, the subtle power of self-deception. Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to Romans chapter 7, please. Paul here speaks into this. I want to teach you a little bit of doctrine here as we think about uh, this portion of Scripture. uh, Romans chapter 7, excuse me, verse number 18, we will begin. Notice what Paul says. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. What is Paul speaking of here in this verse? He says there's a struggle, a real struggle between my flesh and my will to get it right. He says, there's a struggle in my flesh to go a direction in which I ought to go, and there's a struggle in my will that wants to get it right. There's a struggle within me that's warring. It's at odds with one another. They're opposite, and they're fighting, and they're going at one another, and they, what I want to do, and say, we'll see in just one moment, he does not do. And what he should not do, he does. Look at verse number 19. We can, see, we, can, we can see this here fully in his words. But for the good that I would, I do not. And, but the evil which I would not, that I do. What was Paul saying? Paul said, I want to do those things that I should, but I don't. The things that I shouldn't do, I do. What was he saying? He says there's a struggle, there's a battle, there's a war within him. Look at verse number 20. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. When we read this portion of Scripture, it almost seems like Paul's schizophrenic. (laughs) It's like there's two people (laughs) speaking here. He's battling himself. He's battling internally. Why, Why is he doing this? Why is that battle going on? I'm going to explain this clearly in a simple way. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you get saved, the Spirit of God quickens or makes your spirit alive. You are born into the family of God. You are spiritually a new creature. But at that very moment, the Bible says all things are become new. Old things are passed away. So what does that mean? God has taken a sin nature that's in you and I before we got saved and he's crucified it with Christ. It's crucified. It's dead. And God puts his spirit in us His nature is then in us. 
but we still have flesh. This doesn't make us sinless or unable to sin. We still sin because of that flesh. It's like programming. It's like a computer program that's, uh, or, or a computer that's had a virus and you clear out or you delete everything that you thought you had that had the virus you put all new software in but there's still problems because there's remnant of that virus still there and it still affects things that's that flesh it wants to do what is opposite of god so often god brings life to us the very moment of salvation and brings within us a new nature that desires to do good and right. One of the marks of knowing that you're saved is that your nature is drawn or there's a desire to do right. There's a desire to go to church. There's a desire to read the Bible. There's a desire to do those things which are right. There's a desire to have good dreams and to focus and to want those good dreams and as long as they're biblical and uh, uh biblical and 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 godly those are things in which god's put in satan doesn't want us to do that which is right satan doesn't want us to learn more about the word of god or to learn to grow to do that which is good he wants us to go in opposite direction and that's where our flesh wants to take us that's where our flesh is battling with our spirit our spirit wants us to be drawn or to pull towards the uh, towards that which is right and good but then our flesh wants to take us a different direction into that which the sin nature programmed it to do the sin nature wanted us to do wrong sin nature wanted us to do that in which was against what god desired us to do this new nature though when I got saved and the Holy Spirit of God is in me, is now the real me. It's me. It's what I, God is shaping me in. And the real me with this new nature that's been made new by God wants to get it right. But there's a struggle among the flesh, to choose that which is easy or convenient or feels good at the moment. And wants to follow that direction, and those things are also very real. Those things are there for us. Accessible. But the Spirit of God says, wait a minute, that's not going to satisfy you. That's not going to complete you because the real you is now you, the child of God. You're no longer what you used to be. The old man has passed away. All things are become new. And there's a struggle in our mind. There's a struggle in our soul. There's a battle there that fights at one another. We're doing that which is right. We're being pulled towards those in which things we should not do. Look at, verse number, look at verse number 21 with me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, 
warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. The Bible teaches us that we're body, soul, and spirit. At salvation, our spirit is given life. Our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions. And we've talked about that. The heart. The heart is what we want. It's our chooser, our thinker, our wanter, and our feeler. It's what we want in here. And our heart, our mind, will, and emotions is seated in the middle between our spirit and our body. And really, our body is nothing more than, I heard someone describe it as like a sack of meat that we're just, that we're just carrying around for a time. And one day, God's going to take this, take this uh, the sack of meat and He's going to change it and to glorify it and it's going to be completely and utterly new, uh, eradicated of the virus, if we can go back to that analogy a moment ago. It's going to be completely transformed and completely new. But that means that the, the battle is in our soul. Our spirit is pulling our soul one, uh, uh, this direction. Our body is wanting to pull our battle or our, 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 our soul this direction. And we are, in essence, caught in the middle of it. We're being pulled. The Spirit of God wants us to get it right. And yet the body wants to keep control and for it to be in control. The struggle is real there. There's a power of the self-deception of following what the body wants instead of what the Spirit of God desires. Look at verse number 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with this so with and with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. What is he saying? He said, I'm caught in this struggle, as we said a moment ago, and he says, one day Jesus is going to redeem, he's going to redeem my body, it will be changed, I'll begin a glorified body, but until that moment happens, until I am glorified, until I'm giving a new body, I can't trust my will, my plan, because it's prone to do what the body wants. It's prone. It led towards that. I can't trust it. I can't fully trust my own plan. The Bible teaches us in James chapter 1, verse number 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. If we trust God first, If we trust God first, our emotions will fall in line later. But if I'm drawn away from what I want, from what I feel, from what I, for what my emotions are leading me at the moment, it will lead me in a direction in which I ought not to go. But if I trust God first, and then let my emotions fall in line, it will truly 
manifest itself in a way in which God has chosen that which is best for us. It's us looking and saying, feelings, I don't trust you. Emotions, I don't serve you. The Bible teaches us that when we trust Him, our emotions will one day fall in line. It may not be a day, it may not be a week, it might not be a month. It might take a year or longer for your emotions to fall in line with a step that is based upon trusting in God. But if you allow the Word of God, if you allow God to lead you, He will lead in the right direction. Our feelings and emotions, if we serve them and trust them, will lead us into paths we ought not to go. Can I give you an illustration? I'm going to cut some things out here tonight just to get uh, uh, to finish here this evening. Years ago, we were in some financial states. This is many, many years ago. Young family, young children, and we had we had a lot of debt. We were living on credit cards, and it was it was not a good situation. We had foolishly made some decisions that going back, we should have changed. We should have, we should have done things a little different. But we chose to do what we were doing, and things were getting extremely tight, extremely tight. And as we were struggling, I looked at, I realized that we would need to travel. And as we needed to travel, we needed a portable computer to take with us. We had a desktop computer. A desktop doesn't travel well. <laughs> but we would need to do some traveling and we would need to have access to a computer. And, and so I made some very stupid decisions, some very bad decisions. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I knew the problem was there. I knew it was real. But I wanted to fix it my way. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so, I chose to sell this desktop computer. Now, when I sold this desktop computer, I did not know that I was selling it to someone who was operating under a hacked account, a hacked PayPal account with stolen funds. I did not know that. I put the computer or gave the computer over, hand-delivered it. And that very day, I decided, okay, I needed to go get a computer. And so I began to look and I began to search through eBay because I couldn't afford the price of a new computer, but I knew I needed a laptop and I knew, knew it needed to be portable. And so I began to look and uh, I couldn't afford the new prices, so I thought, well, let's go to eBay. And I saw eBay, and the prices were still a little, a little too much for me. And I thought, okay, let's. I've heard about some people using Craigslist. <laughs> and if you know anything about Craigslist, you almost grimace at the name of that. Uh, there's a lot of things that go on. And sure enough, there was a computer that I was looking for at a price in which I could afford and so i thought great wonderful so i contacted him he contacted me right away and he says yes if you wire me 
money. And already, if you know any, if you've been there, you already know what's coming. Well, again, I was doing it my way, what I wanted, my choice. And so, I took that money that I received from that computer and I withdrew it from my account not knowing the next day I was going to receive an email from PayPal saying, we're taking those funds out of your account. And I took those money, that money in a form of cash and went down to a Western Union and wire transferred money for a laptop that I would never get. Not only was I out the money and the computer, but now I was paid for a computer I would never get. Because I decided to do it like I wanted it. It was what felt good. I needed it now, I thought. And it led to some very bad choices. I deceived myself that I couldn't wait. I deceived myself that I couldn't talk to anybody about this. I deceived myself that I couldn't receive counsel about any of these choices, but I need to act right now, right away, and take care of it quickly. And it led to a lot of expenses that could have been avoided. Doing things our way usually ends up really bad. We can't trust our emotions we can't trust ourselves which leads me to number three and we're going to close with this the trust test and this is where really where it begins to be a step or a process we talked background and now let me just give you the quick illustration let me give you some homework um, if i can do that here tonight um, i encourage you to do this take a piece of paper tonight and write out everything you want to do from right now until Jesus comes or until God calls you home in death. Everything. Be as detailed as you can. Who you want to marry. What career you want to have. What kind of home you want to live in. What kind of car or cars you want to drive. Write it all out. Be detailed and descriptive. Put it all, put your dreams all on that piece of paper. Every single one of them. And then after you're done putting all your dreams on that piece of paper, take a red pencil or a red, a red uh, a, a, a marking pen and draw a big X all the way through that. And with that red marking pen right on the top, don't trust this. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be 100% wrong on what's on that piece of paper, or 100% even right. But it's a conscious choice that I can't trust what my own dreams, what my own visions are, because I don't know. Some of those might happen. None of them may happen. But if I trust God, He's going to write on that paper what is best for me. He's going to write on that paper what is best for you if you trust Him. 
I can't trust my own wills, my own motions, my own thoughts. But I can trust His. His are right. In essence, it's making a conscious decision to sever your trust from yourself. So I'm not going to trust what I'm dreaming. It's there. God might do it one day. But my conscious choice is to trust in the Lord no matter what. I have found that every time I give a dream back to God or kill that dream, God gives it back better than I could have ever imagined or ever have done it myself. But it comes to a point in which you say, God, it's not my dream anymore. It's yours. I'm done. I've killed it. I'm walking away. And when I give it to God, God does some marvelous things. Trust in the Lord. Let me end by Isaiah 26. The Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. You can trust God. Not your heart.